It was the kind of day when history pivots, takes a turn that will shape the lives of millions. It has already taken the lives of far too many. Escalation doesn't quite capture it. What we are seeing in the occupied Gaza Strip and Israel has no precedent. The barbarism at the outset, the talk of vengeance, the war crimes, and the signs, all too familiar ones, of journalists succumbing to the pressures under the powers that be. For the next half hour, here at The Listening Post, we will be covering the news coverage of the war in Palestine and Israel, examining the narratives that have emerged since Hamas's surprise attack, a seismic news event that is destined to take ownership of the date on which it happened, October 7th, 2023. of Hamas's attack on Israel is unprecedented. More Israelis killed on a single day than at any time since the country's creation in 1948. The way they died, what we have been told, and what has been alleged about Hamas and the atrocities. Gaza turned into a slaughterhouse. Entire neighborhoods wiped out by Israeli bombs. Moral boundaries have been undone. Unwritten rules have been rewritten and limits dispensed with, as though they are now obsolete, like yesterday's news. The vast majority of Israelis were obviously not alive during the Holocaust, so this is their first experience um, with atrocity uh, of this magnitude. There is uh, an undeniable amount of rage and anger, of fear, but also it has become a cause for unity in Israel. So whereas the country has been deeply divided nearly a year now since the extremists joined in the alliance with Netanyahu, I expect now that Israelis will come together to face down um, what they perceive to be a much more serious threat. Israel isn't in battle mode. It is in extermination mode. They are bombing civilian homes on purpose, bombing hospitals and schools and ministries, bombing the only facilities that can provide medical care. It cut off telecommunications from Palestinians, so they can't even call each other to check in if they're alive or not. It's extermination. Israelis woke up to severe abnormality and pain on the weekend. Palestinians wake up to a reality of occupation. Every day of every week of every year for decades. Squads of masked men in black, armed with assault rifles, inside of Israeli towns and cities. The scenes are horrendous. It's heartbreaking. But this idea of how could they bring civilians into the conflict? Civilians have been part of the dispossession of Palestinians. Dispossessing Palestinians was an act of dispossessing civilians from the get-go. To understand what's been happening in the past few days, one has to remember that history doesn't begin on the weekend. Because there is no getting away from how crucial the context is to this story. 
56 years of Israeli occupation, a suffocating siege of Gaza that has lasted close to two decades, and five punishing wars that have transformed the Strip into a walled-in pressure cooker from which there is no escape. Last week's assault, the extraordinary breach of Israel's defenses was as stunning as it was devastating. Hamas attacked by air, land, and sea. Its fighters filmed the invasion as it happened and sent out the video on social media, documenting the ease with which they got past the border, took over eight Israeli military bases, and captured and killed soldiers there. There was the footage from that dance festival, recorded by Israelis, who then came under attack, some 250 of them killed in the chaos. Hamas forces rampaging through Israeli communities, abducting women and children. Hamas and Islamic Jihad were mainly concerned with documenting their operational success and uh, showing the Hamas fighters basically sauntering around the Zaki military base. Another one is, is um, the Eres checkpoint, which is the Israeli boundary crossing that controls access uh, to and from uh, the Gaza Strip, a symbol that's particularly hated among Palestinians, and basically dismantling this central feature of Israeli control of Palestinian movement. The fact that such a huge operation took place without uh, Israel knowing anything is really shocking to how Israel sees its defense. The most incomprehensible failure of Israel was the military intelligence, supposedly the best or maybe the second best in the world that was supposed to know everything that goes on in Gaza. So therefore, the fact that such a huge operation uh, uh, was not detected is a huge failure. Now, to help us understand how Hamas was able to deceive Israeli intelligence, we're joined by the Listening Post's Tarek Nafa. Tarek, you were in the occupied territories earlier this year reporting on this subject, Israeli surveillance, just how invasive it is. So give us an idea of what that looks like for the people in Gaza. Richard, Gaza is one of the most densely populated places on the planet, but it's also one of the most heavily surveilled places, too. And Israel's equivalent of the NSA, the elite unit A200, has the capacity to monitor all electronic communications in Gaza. They can intercept every phone call. And among other things, that gives them the means to pressure and blackmail Palestinians, to force them to collaborate and spy for Israel. And we spoke with one former member of Unit 8200. He wanted to withhold his identity. This is how he described that process. You always look for weaknesses, people with psychological difficulties or trust issues, stuff like that. If we have compromising material, we use that in order to force them into cooperation. You want to have control. So you have to close in on everybody. You have to have more and more information and you end up having a database with everybody and every face. And of course, nowadays we have the technology. We have the means to collect data in unheard of quantities on everyone. The sky's the limit. 
So that gives you an idea of the degree to which Israeli intelligence services have penetrated or infiltrated Palestinian society. Still, all those Hamas fighters managed to make it out of Gaza to do what they did. I've been to that area of the Gaza Strip, the Erez or Beit Hanun border crossing in the north of the Gaza Strip. It is a highly fortified and dystopian place. Israel has spent years building a 40-mile uh, smart fence, a high-tech security barrier that encircles the Gaza Strip. There are radars and sensors there to detect movement. There are watchtowers mounted with remote-controlled machine guns. And Hamas was seemingly able to use drones to knock out Israel's communications in that area to knock out those watchtowers and those machine guns and that allowed them to bulldoze or penetrate that that barrier in multiple places which is why Israelis are calling this such a colossal failure of Israeli intelligence yes but it should also prompt some bigger questions about what Amnesty International this year called automated apartheid the billions of dollars Israel has spent on controlling Palestinians, on managing and entrenching the occupation, which doesn't seem to have made life any safer for Palestinians or Israelis. And just one last thing, Richard, there has been some reporting this week from the New York Times that suggests Hamas operatives knew they were being listened to and intentionally gave off the sense they wanted to avoid war. And we spoke with a lot of uh, analysts this week who said Hamas very likely used extremely low-tech methods to evade or deceive the Israelis. They presumably um, went out of their way to avoid any um, electronic or digital communications and uh, reverted to um, old-fashioned uh, pen and paper, if you will. And, and it's clear that an operation of this size would have required very substantial communications. So a second factor would have been a very high level of compartmentalization so that if someone was caught, their knowledge about the overall plan would have been very limited and they wouldn't have been in a position to provide Israel substantial uh, information about it. There's also the political aspect and that relates to Israeli complacency, Israeli hubris, an inability to believe that these inferior beings who have been so thoroughly denigrated and dehumanized uh, by Israel would be capable of challenging them in any significant respect. You have an Israel that is in certain quarters called the startup nation. This is the high tech superpower and it has done very well economically, internationally when it comes to the military, the spyware, the surveillance side of things by selling stuff that it tests on the Palestinians. Gaza is a laboratory. So, you know, Israel can say, look, this is what we're able to do. Constant drone surveillance, constant blips the most sophisticated ever tunnel detection systems. Now that has gone wrong. The Netanyahu government has called Hamas's assault Israel's 9-11. At least 1,200 Israelis killed in one day and the roughly 100 hostages taken into Gaza have left the country reeling, its airwaves reverberating. 
אתה כל הזמן יושב ואתה חושב מה קורה, איפה הצבא, איך זה יכול להיות, איך הם פה, כמה יש. The Prime Minister, who sees no immediate benefit in a public examination of Israel's military and intelligence shortcomings, targets his soundbites at the enemy instead. התמונות של החורבן וההרס ממעוזי החמאס בעזה הן רק ההתחלה. חיסלנו מאות רבות של מחבלים, ולא נעצור שם. אמרתי שכל מקום שממנו פועל החמאס יהפוך ליהיה חורבות. Across Israel's government, ministers are on message. The enemy is Hamas, but the punishment meted out will affect all Gazans, 2.3 million of them. What the defense minister is promising there, cutting off a population supply of food, water, power for its hospitals, meets the legal definition of a war crime. As for what the government said on Friday, giving more than a million Gazans just 24 hours to evacuate to the south, the UN said it was impossible to move that many civilians without devastating humanitarian consequences. Despite all of that, at a time of war, the Netanyahu government can rely on the Israeli media to match its calls for vengeance, even take them up a notch. The statements by the Israeli government, including uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, have been shocking in their transparency about the intent uh, to punish all the people in Gaza. I expect that over the coming days you will find Israeli officials start to be more careful because there is an international criminal court investigation currently underway of war crimes in Gaza and these kinds of statements are very important evidence of intent for war crimes so I suspect you will start finding them to be a lot more careful uh, starting to make uh, references to protecting civilians and international law. There tend to be shows with large panels uh, for hours on end, and there's been a, a high uniformity of message in terms of almost one-upping each other. At the same time, there has been this constant drip feed of how come it all went so wrong? People whose family in the military were, were missing, were perhaps captured, taken to Gaza, appearing and saying, we've heard nothing. We've heard nothing from the Israeli system, nothing from the authorities, nothing from the army. So there's been a, a criticism of the way things are managed, but quite a significant uniformity of message of we stand against the, the Palestinians. In times of war, of course, there is this tendency to unite behind the leadership. And Netanyahu uh, is trying to benefit from it by showing that he is a strong man and nobody can, can stop him. But I think it doesn't really work. Such a failure of the army, of the intelligence, of the doctrines, cannot, he cannot escape it. I read Amos Ariel 
military correspondent of Haaretz, he wrote a long piece. The last paragraph is saying, I'm talking to these reservists who volunteered to risk their lives, but they say, after this war is over, we are coming to Jerusalem. From the battleground, we will go to Jerusalem to bring down Netanyahu. That anger has already manifested in some extraordinary scenes. Israelis furious with their political leadership. Cabinet ministers have been confronted in public, yelled at by citizens, chased out of hospitals after trying to visit the wounded, their cars pelted on the streets. Overseas, Western governments have been far more understanding. They've been tripping over themselves. Statements of solidarity coming out of one country after another. Israeli flags projected onto buildings in one capital after another. The UK government deeming that in certain cases, waving a Palestinian flag is now a criminal offense. Correspondence from Western news outlets that showed comparatively little interest in the recent pogroms on the West Bank and the constant killings there have swarmed into the conflict zone, at least the part they are permitted to see. And since the Israelis will not allow them into Gaza to cover the carnage there, all that they can report on firsthand is the suffering on the Israeli side. My brother, my brother, he cries, killed today by Hamas. Controlling the access to a story has an effect on audiences. It creates an imbalance of empathy, and it is a big part of controlling the narrative. When the international media agencies saw Israeli death toll rise to the hundreds, they immediately started sending their senior foreign correspondents. When Palestinians have been killed in the hundreds, this year and the year before, which has been the deadliest for Palestinian children, nobody came. Instead, they tried to make these refugees in, in the West Bank seem like big, bad terrorists that can't be taken down, rather than literally refugees with looted guns fighting a nuclear army with special ops and undercover operations units. These are members of the Janine Brigade, a militant group now posing a danger to the Palestinian Authority as well as to Israel. The disproportion in, in illustrating the two sides, it's not just inaccurate, it's not just an insult to journalistic integrity, but it shows an active role that is being played in collaboration with Israeli policymakers to make sure that any crime made by Israel either remains concealed or justified. For the Western media, this is a story about Israel. Israel is the center of the story. Palestine is an appendage. 1,200 people murdered in a country of just under 10 million, the equivalent of over 40,000 dead if it had happened in the U.S. So forget Fox News and radical media. Let's not even talk about um, mainstream um, uh, U.S. media like the New York Times. Let's talk about the British Guardian newspaper, which is perfectly acceptable progressive newspaper on the second or the third day of the crisis, when Palestinians were already being killed by the bushel, you look at their homepage, two headlines mention the number of total Israeli casualties. There's not even an attempt to project that there may also be large numbers of dead in the Gaza Strip. The Palestinians are a subhuman appendage to the story that really matters, which is Israel.
In the days after the attack, some of the coverage in the global media spiraled chaotically. One of the most prominent disturbing stories was that Hamas fighters beheaded Israeli infants, 40 of them. It came out when the Israeli military took the international media on a tour of a kibbutz in Kfar Aza, where scores of Israelis had been killed. Women, children. Women, children, babies. The Israeli channel, I-24, ran the story first, based on a claim from one Israeli soldier. They cut her off children, cut her off women. Journalists were given no other information. The Israeli army repeatedly would not confirm the allegation, but it went out anyway. Babies and toddlers were found with their heads decapitated. And it kept going. Uh, allegations that 40 babies were beheaded. Among the Western officials who echoed the story, the President of the United States. I never really thought that I would see and have confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children. Just hours after that statement, the White House took it back and issued a correction. Let's unpack what's going on here. When we are in a moment of really rapid escalation, of real deep dehumanization, the question that the media, I would hope, surely has to ask itself is, do we run after the most disturbing storyline? Or do we say verify once, verify twice, let's be careful. Now, Israel has very strongly leaned into an Hamas equals ISIS narrative. Now, this is despite the fact that Israel has, of course, had dealings with Hamas. Hamas has interacted with many, many, uh, not only Global South, but Western diplomats and others. But Israel is setting up a narrative that we have to take an exterminationist position towards a Palestinian movement, but that is being defined so broadly out that all of the Gazan civilian population de facto becomes a legitimate target. They claim we're trying to distinguish, but all of the military activities suggest the opposite. And Tarek, part of our confusion over this story is by design, isn't it? The Israeli military's refusal to allow journalists to go into Gaza to tell us what's happening on the ground. So how is the news even coming out? Well, Israel is imposing a blackout on the Gaza Strip, part of what it calls a complete siege. That means no food or water, no electricity, no internet. Mobile data and coverage comes and goes. And because journalists haven't been allowed into the Gaza Strip, news organizations are relying on Palestinian journalists to describe what is happening. The most intense bombardment of Gaza Gazans have ever experienced. We are not strangers to war, but how it feels this time. It's hard to find the words. It feels like the world is collapsing. And some of those Palestinian journalists are out there on social media. What are you seeing? Who are you following? Well, some of the most powerful accounts this week have come from Palestinians just on their phone. Among them is a journalist called Mu'ataz Azaiza. His Instagram stories of the destruction in Gaza, the scenes in Arimal, a neighborhood in the heart of Gaza City, once thought of as a safe haven. 
now virtually disappeared after it was pulverized in airstrikes. <laughs> I'm here today to show you the massive destruction that happened to the, the most beautiful areas in the Strip, in Gaza City. As, as you can see, uh, I'm speechless. I don't know what to say. I don't know what should I say. But believe me, it's the most sadness that Gaza ever had. On Thursday, Adzaiza reported that 15 members of his own family were killed in an airstrike. We've seen the Gazans who remain online posting their last words, their final goodbyes. Before we came into the studio, we checked how many reporters have been killed by Israel. It's around seven, but that number is increasing every day. The situation is overwhelming for Gaza's journalists and for people more generally. And the prospect of Gaza going dark, of Gazans being cut off from one another, cut off from the outside world, just as Israeli forces invade, is really terrifying. The people of Gaza cannot withstand a siege for much longer. There will be no ability for Palestinians in Gaza to get out any news and information about their destruction, uh, about what is happening to their lives. The problem is the sheer size of uh, the calamity that has befallen Gaza. And it is very clear that the little information that we're getting from doctors and humanitarian workers and ordinary civilians in Gaza will soon be wiped out when Gaza goes dark, and that is imminent. It's very clear that Israel wants to make sure that the world can't see what's happening on the ground so that they can continue to carry out uh, the atrocities that we are seeing unfolded uh, in real time, uh, in real life before our eyes. I fear that we are going to see a level of violence, destruction and death of civilians in Gaza that we have never seen before. The question now being asked across media outlets, where does it go from here? The one that should go hand in hand? How did we get here? More than half a century of occupation, Israel's descent into an apartheid state, extreme elements moving into positions of power, resulted in a Hamas counterattack and unspeakable acts of violence for which the people of Gaza are being punished on a scale not seen before. The date will remain in our minds, October 7th, 2023. And like 9-11, the aftermath has included journalistic failings that cannot be blamed simply on the fog of war. There is nothing cloudy about a lack of context, a failure to verify, a call to arms, or just banging the drums of war. Where does it go from here? Into the darkness, with more atrocities to come. We still don't know um, uh, how this is going to play out. Um, you know, is, is the Gaza Strip going to be made unfit for human habitation, develop into a wider conflict, perhaps. Israel and the United States and Europe thought that they could safely ignore the Palestinians and that we would simply disappear. 
because we were encaged in the Gaza Strip, we were being uh, devoured by the settlers in the West Bank, or we were rotting away in refugee camps uh, in Lebanon. And the idea that these people are simply going to turn into politically irrelevant uh, human dust. I think that now needs to be reconsidered, though I very much doubt it will. Palestine is offering an opportunity for the world to actually say no, to say we won't be arming Israel anymore, to say we have a voice as well. For the civilian populations to mobilize, look at Palestinians refusing to be colonized by a nuclear regime. No matter how much disproportion there is, the will to live and the will to live freely is so strong that they continue to say no. And right now we are at a crossroads. We either actually do justice, no matter how hard it is, no matter how unfamiliar it is, or we push forward and be complicit. And I'm sorry, that's just gonna put you in, in the bucket of serial killers across history. And do trust that whether it's five years, 10 years, or 100 years from now, the future will look back at this moment and it will look at everyone that was complicit. And it's not gonna be good.